Again, Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all fluids clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is God's Word. Amen. So, I've got a big goal for us this morning. It's the same goal I think I I try to have every week, but it feels a little bigger this morning, which is to understand and benefit from God's Word as it relates to life today. Taking an ancient word, an ancient Bible, and, and seeing how it's relevant for life today, even the strange, the foreign, the flat out weirder parts, like the passage Luke just read. And I can genuinely say that it took me some time, but as I began to understand this passage, I, I've benefited from its insight in a number of ways. Uh, firstly, I discovered that I'm far more <laughs> villain of the passage than victor of the passage. No one wants to admit they're more like the Pharisee. I found out why most of our strategies and our wisdom for the way we live our life is necessarily temporary. I also realized that we all institute and follow a a governing rule of life or or a rule of thumb. But when we hold to it too tightly and for too long, it can actually harm God. It can can harm other people. So the message in a nutshell this morning, if you remember nothing else, remember this. It is, your rule cannot deliver what it promises. 
Your rule cannot deliver what it promises. And we all have rules by which we live. All of us have rules by which we live, and we're going to see that this morning. But longing for simplicity, there's usually one or two that truly govern our lives. The rule doesn't always stay the same. In fact, we, we often, or, or at least occasionally, will exchange out one rule for another to see what, what sort of works better than the previous one. For example, for years, I followed this rule of trying to, to drink four of these Nalgene bottles of water a day. All right? Four of them a day, so I would feel, I'd feel fresher like physically fresher. And then I exchanged this rule for what's known as intermittent fasting. In other words, uh, I don't eat for 14 hours per day as a rule, so I would feel fresher. I'd feel physically fresher. I took one rule, I exchanged it out for another. Whatever your rule might be, they're typically well-intentioned to make us either better lovers of God and neighbor or at least a better person. But what I believe God is trying to tell us through this passage this morning, through his word as we bridge it from then to now, is that your rule ultimately cannot deliver on its promise to better love God, others, or even become a better person. And so we need to look elsewhere. We need to look elsewhere. And what I'm not saying, please don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying uh, habits, disciplines, goals are, are, are useless. They can be very useful. But when they govern our lives, they can't really bring the change we want. They can't really do what we're asking them to do ultimately. And so Jesus' words to us this morning will feel deconstructive at first before he and we arrive at an actual solution. He'll sort of deconstruct what our rule might be, and then we're going to get to a solution. So we're going to start with the question of what's going on in this passage and what's so wrong about it. And then we're going to look at the question, why does my once helpful rule stop working, and then finally, what should we do about it? So first, what's so wrong with holy sanitation and setting up a trust fund for God? So I studied everything I could about these issues in our passage, and I want to summarize the most likely version of how the religion of the Pharisees got to this point, got to this point of really stressing washing hands, Uh, cleaning out bowls, washing dining couches, whatever that might be, and this weird practice called Corbin. First, I'm going to begin with giving these people the, the benefit of the doubt. That the Pharisees and scribes really did take loving God seriously, and they probably did from everything we know. Now, Jesus summarized the law that all these people subscribe to in this way. He said, love God with all of who you are and love your neighbor as much as yourself. In fact, it was a scribe of the Pharisees who asked Jesus to summarize the law. And then he commended Jesus for saying, loving God, loving neighbor. Yes, Jesus, that's right. So they, they took loving God seriously. So a scribe or a rabbi would take a season, for example, of, of of focusing on loving God by remaining pure and holy, set apart from what the world looked like, as commanded in places like Exodus chapter 30 in the Old Testament. And later they might take a different season that focused on loving God with one's resources in places like Leviticus 1 and 2. The Pharisees, just to give you a little background, they were a minority segment of the Jewish people. 
They were a minority segment, the Jewish people. But, they, but what they did well and what kind of made them famous is they made the law of God more doable for the common man and common woman. You could call them then, the, they were the blue-collar theologians, if you will, of the day. They were hardcore but also practical about trying to love God as rightly as possible. So they thought about scenarios for every, every aspect of life. What they'd often do is they would take the preached law at the synagogue and they'd follow it up with these intense table discussions about real-life scenarios. How do you apply the law here? How do you do it in this situation? So you may have heard the phrase before, uh, a man's home is his castle. It's an old phrase, but a man's home is his castle, a less known phrase, but out there, uh, his family is his flock. Well, the Pharisees believed that a man's home was his temple. The priests were in charge of the temple, and the priests had the responsibility for keeping themselves ritually clean and keeping the temple ritually clean. So we're supposed to stay ritually clean. The temple's supposed to be ritually clean. So the Pharisees asked the question, how can we honor God in our temple? How can we honor God in our home? By making sure we keep our hands free from touching anything that would be unclean. For example, like a, a rabbit, a fly, a lizard that got into the home. All right, and if you touched it, it wouldn't make you ritually unclean. And what about if any water or wood touched that lizard? touch that rabbit, touch that fly, whatever it might be, then that would be unclean. So what they did is said, how can we make sure, not only in the temple, but in our temple, our homes, everyone stays clean, ritually clean? Well, we got to wash before we eat. Make sure we wash it before we eat. And we'll, you know what we'll do just in case? We'll wash the pots, we'll wash the pans too, we'll wash the, we'll wash the table, we'll wash the chairs We'll wash everything around what we eat just to make sure everything is ritually clean. Now, is there anything wrong with that? It may seem a bit extra, right? A little bit extra, but I mean, innocuous, innocent. At least it doesn't harm anyone. Or does it? Or does it? So I brought, um, I brought hand sanitizers for a few of you this morning, okay? Here you go, Bill. All right, who else can I throw this to? Here you go, Nick. I'm at Luke. All right, so, thank you. I, I just want to show off my arm. It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? I mean, I'm going to be something. All right, so I want you guys to use them, if you don't mind, for a minute. But what if I told you, I gave these hand sanders to you, what if I told you that the moment I was going out to get these hand sanitizers, Katie asked me, my wife Katie asked me, to do the laundry or to, to vacuum or to take out the garbage. But I went out instead. And so I would have missed an opportunity to love my wife as Jesus loved the church. Or what if Katie said to me, hey, let, let's go meet our new neighbors. I said, no, 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 no. I got to go to the store and get my hand sanitation on. So sorry, right? My efforts to meticulously love God better and love you by getting sanitized, all right? Because maybe I shook your hand earlier when you came in, that sort of thing. You're getting sanitized. Would have distracted me from loving my neighbor where it mattered the most. That's exactly what would have happened had the disciples lived according to the Pharisaical rule. They would have worried about, they would have got the hand sanitizers out, they would have loved God in that way, but they would have missed loving people. The Pharisees would make Jesus' disciples go through sanitation, their sanitation rules, before they ate. 
And that's a big deal, because if you remember what we've already seen in Mark's gospel, at least twice in Mark's gospel we've seen Jesus' disciples not even be able to sit down and eat because they were caring for people. What if then they had to like do all these rituals beforehand? During the fish and loaves scenario, we looked at a couple weeks ago, it would have prevented them, these rituals would have prevented them from organizing people and handing out what God provided in the fish and the loaves. In the early hours of before breakfast, purifying bowls and utensils would have distracted them from seeing Jesus walking on the water, revealing who he truly was. Jesus' priority wasn't sanitation. It was far more important for him to, to far more important to love the Father, he would say, and to love me, and to learn to love your neighbor. Love is the governing law for him, the governing rule of life. And so what we see with this kind of sanitation going on from the Pharisees is that a well-intentioned rule for living can distract you from Jesus' rule. Love me and love others. It can distract you, as it could have distracted me by going out and buying hand sanitizer, right? By focusing on that. So to hammer this point home, Jesus brings up another rule the Pharisees would live by. It's this rule called Corbin. So a rabbi or a scribe would have said one of the ways you could love God is by, is by giving of your, of your money, of your resources to the temple. All right, that makes sense. That's not too outlandish. The temple had to run. The way you love God is by giving to the temple. But as they sat around these tables and, and, they, and they talked about what that looked like, right? They hammered out the details of what that looked like. Somebody objected, well, wait a minute. Some people are going to have a really hard time with this. They're going to have a problem. They only, maybe they don't have, make as much money. They only have so much earnings, and they got to make a decision, right? Do I, do I love my parents who are elderly, or do I love the house of God, the temple? Maybe they can't do both. So first, what the Pharisees sit around to decide is, well, which kind of giving is more important? Giving to your parents, your elderly parents, or giving to the temple? And they determine it's more important to give to the temple. Plus, they thought, it would really please our parents to know that we're going to honor God first with our money. Remember, you know parents, they'll be happy with us. They'll see we're doing the right thing. We're going to honor God with our money. They're going to be happy about it. So to make it easier or more, more manageable, they set up this system called Corbin. A person could actually take money set aside for their parents and use it as a kind of trust fund for God. The money wouldn't actually go to the temple until one's death. So what you could still do is you could draw from the Corbin for ordinary use. It would be like you and I drawing and using interest from a trust fund today. All right, so we're just gonna, we're gonna take a little from it, but in the end, most of it will end up going to God and the temple. And some people thought this was a brilliant idea, right? It helped out all kinds of people. It certainly helped the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, the scribes and the priests and the rabbis. It would help the common worker, right? The, the, everyday, the everyday man or woman. Of course, the parents would get left out in the cold. But two out of three is not bad, right? So have you ever done, have you ever made or supported a decision that seemed to benefit most, but secretly you agreed to it? Because primarily you stood to benefit the most. You know what I'm saying? Like you say, oh yeah, yeah, let's, 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 let's go ahead and go, let's go forward with that. It's a good thing. But you know, deep down, it also helps me. In fact, it might help me the most. 
I'm, I'm just thinking about instances of this. Most of us, if I can just be real, are going to do this in November when we vote. We're, a lot of us are going to say, yeah, this is, this is the, I'm going to vote because this is the best way to love my neighbor this way or that, when really, for a lot of us, we're really going, well, I'm, I'm going to benefit from this. Like Me and my people are getting power, or, or by voting this way, me and my people don't lose power. And we usually vote deep down because it's going to help us. Or, or, or I think about it every time I offer to drive my family in the car. Right? I think, oh, you know what, guys, I'll raise my hand. I'll drive us. I'll be the one to, to selflessly. But really, I want to drive because I want to be in control. Right? Deep down, it's like, no, 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 this benefits me. That's what's happening here in formulating Corbin. It has this appearance of, of love. Look, we're loving God. It's just, isn't it great? But deep down, it's like, no, 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 this is for me. It's a rule intended to really provide us a break from love not in order to love. And there are two reasons, by the way, we might adopt a rule. It's to better love or better ourselves, but also to take a vacation from love is a reason we sometimes make a rule for life. I remember someone wise once told me that love is the hardest work because you can never take a break from it. <laughs> love is the hardest work, so you can never take a, a vacation from love. It's also hard because love is always towards a person, Right? Jesus, today via the Holy Spirit, moves, he leads, he acts, often and unpredictably, in ways we don't expect. And that's hard. People are unpredictable, right? And they'll let you down sometimes if you love them long enough to stick around. Rules we can control, people we cannot so we try to make love a little more manageable, a little more predictable, a little more doable through a rule, through a rule of life. That's something I can control. For example, my, my trifecta rule would be do what's best for God, for others, and me, if you can combine all three. Like if you can get a scenario where it's best for God, it's best for others, and best for me, mostly me, let's do that whenever possible. So I want to ask you guys, what's your rule? What's your rule? I'm going, to give us, I'm going to give us 10 possible rules. 10 possible rules or rules of thumb that might govern our lives. And I'm going to go through them quickly. All right? So just so if you see one that looks familiar to you, maybe jot it down. Okay? So here, here are some rules that kind of show up, I think, in life. One is the have-it-all rule. This is, as long as I do this, you know, as long as I read my Bible, I go to church, I do this or I do that, then I've pleased God and I can satisfy myself with the good life. Right? I have it all rule. If I, as long as I do this, I can have every aspect of life. I can have it all. There's the Jesus understands rule. Jesus understands. That's if I go to church, I'm kind to others, so I'm pretty sure God's okay with the rest of the way I live my life. As long as I, you know, I go to church, I'm nice to other people, Jesus, Jesus understands. He's gracious. He understands. It'll be fine. Here's another rule. It's, I call this the limits rule. Where you limit, like, like, I can have two or three good friends, I can do lunch once a week, I can only spend or give so much, I can only open up my life to others so much and share of myself so much because i got to keep it in here so I don't get hurt. That's my rule. There's the no good to anyone rule. I can't be helpful to anyone unless I get enough sleep, I get enough you know, me time, I get enough exercise. If I don't, I'm no good to anyone. So we live by that rule. There, here's the others determine my happiness rule. 
which is I, I do things for others so that they'll like me, they'll respect me, they'll accept me, they're happy, and I, I live for them. That's my rule. Speaking of living for them, here's the next rule, the child rule, which is do whatever is best for my child. We should do whatever's best but for my child. And you see here how these rules that could be good in a lot of instances can be turned against love, right? Do what's best for my kid. Here's another one, uh, the helping rule, which is say yes to any and every opportunity to help someone else, which usually means those closest to you are left in the dust and unloved because you're helping other people all the time. You're helping only others but not the people closest with you. There's the karma rule. If I treat others well, Things will go well for me. But we know from life that doesn't always happen. And then that's how we grow inwardly bitter, don't we? But wait a minute, God, I did this, I did this, I did this. Why isn't this going well for me? There's the be the change rule. If something good's going to happen, I got to do it myself, or at least I got to start it. And that's how we get exhausted. There is the checklist rule. The more I get accomplished, the more proud God is of me, the more satisfied I am. And then we grow frustrated when we fall short of our checklist, right? When we don't get everything we're supposed to get done. Or, God forbid, we do get everything done on our list, <laughs> right? And then we start to look down on others who aren't as productive as we are. Why do each of these rules, they work for a little bit, but then they stop working. They cease working to make us uh, better lovers or better people. Better lovers of others and God are better people. Why do they stop working? Because each has a fatal flaw. And that's what Jesus goes on to say in verses 14 forward in our passage. So the next question is, why does my once helpful rule, why does it stop working? Why does this little rule of thumb for my life stop working? This has everything to do with two fundamentally different views on what corrupts a person. What, what makes us worse as people? So Jesus challenges the idea that external influences from outside of us corrupt a person. He says there is nothing outside a person that can defile him. And then he asks the question, are you without understanding? And the answer is yes, most of us are without understanding. We not only want to believe forces outside of us corrupt us, we feel we have to believe that. Otherwise, we're we're to blame, lest we be crushed under the weight of blame, the weight of guilt, the weight of shame, right? Think about it. Consider the times when we're most honest about our sin, our weaknesses, our faults. Maybe think about the last guy's night or lady's night maybe you went to from our church or an honest time with your spouse or someone, a good friend. I run mostly in circles with parents, and here's how it goes. You know, I hear someone say, I lost my temper, right? The, I, I, I didn't really love my spouse in that way. I, I, yeah, I gave in to that indulgence, but here it comes, but raising kids is tiring, right? Or, or that's how my parents raised me. Or you might say, oh, my marriage is hard work or pressure at work is stifling right now. Do you hear that? You hear what's happening? It's not me, it's all these external forces. It's, it's time, it's certain people, it's what I eat or drink, it's my parents, it's the technology that distracts us, it's money, it's possessions. It's external forces that are the problem. So we look there for a solution outside of ourselves and we make rules accordingly. If the problem's outside here, then the solution's outside here. 
a common trend, a rule, something that's going to help me that I can find out there. And Jesus says the real problem producing evil thoughts, sexual immorality, covenant, coveting, wickedness, all these kinds of unlove, it comes from within. It comes from within here. And in fact, God's law and our rules only expose this more. So we see a law like no trespassing. And what do we immediately want to do when we see that? We want, yes, what is on the other side? I want to see what is there. I want to cross that line. There was a beautiful house uh, near my college campus, this beautiful house on this lovely property along the river. And my friends and I, we'd often pass by over the bridge, and you could see down below this beautiful property with the home, and it was just gorgeous. And so one evening, a, a lady friend and I wanted to explore this property, right? It wasn't our property. You get it. And we approached the property. Clearly, other people had wanted to explore this property. And we saw the sign, no trespassing. But they knew that rule wasn't enough. So what do they do? They add another rule. Uh, cameras are watching. Right? You see, cameras are watching. So they added another rule on top of the rule. Did that stop us? It did not. <laughs> it did not. And sometimes when there's no trespassing, you'll see another. You'll see something else when there's no trespassing sign. Maybe you'll see a sign, a picture of a gun or something like that to imply Owners will shoot, right, upon seeing you. So that's another rule you add on top of that. But that's exactly how we respond to failing at God's law, with more law. We add more rules. Maybe if I put this in my life, if I implement this in my life, and the problem is it doesn't work. It's like a game of whack-a-mole at the arcade, right? You might beat it down for a minute, but it's going to pop up again or something else will pop up because it doesn't change what's inside of us. The most famous follower of Jesus, a man named Paul, later said in the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read this for you, it's up on the screen. You have died with Christ. He has set you free from the evil powers of this world. So, why do you keep on following rules of the world? Such as, don't handle this, don't eat that, don't touch this, right? Such rules are human teachings about things that are gone as soon as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, they require humility, they require discipline, but they have no effect. Listen to that. They have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. See, friends, God's law and the rules we make up to live up to his law have the exact same effect. They cannot deliver what they promise. They promise to change us. They promise to transform us. Make us better people, doesn't work. Doesn't work. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? What should we do about it? Number one, finally confess that my problem is a person, but my solution's also a person. Just, just admit that your, your problem is a person, namely me, <laughs> myself, and I, but my solution is also a person. Not another rule but a person. The late, great John Stott put this so well. He said that the essence of sin is that we human beings are substituting ourselves for God. And we do this with our rules, right? We substitute, we, God, I can do it on my own. I, I, I can make it there. I, with enough discipline, with enough this, I can love people. I can love others. And we're making ourselves into God. So we substitute ourselves to, for God. Well, the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. I love that. 
So why is it then in life that we keep trying to find a substitute for our substitute? I think, again, it's because he's a person. And because he's a person, that scares us. We can't control a person. Jesus tells us as much that it's a person in verse 6. He says, this people honors me with their lips, their rules, but their heart is far from me. I'm a person. I'm the son of God, a person. Their heart is far from me. Again, rules, strategies, goals to better myself and make me a more loving person. That we can control. We can modify those along the way. We can tinker with them. We can eliminate them if they're too much, but not a person. And God's rescue plan comes through a person, Jesus. And he can be scary, by the way, Jesus. He's loving, but he can be unpredictable. He can be risk-taking. He can be jolting to what he says to us, how he confronts us. Any safer version of a Savior, and we're just playing religion, as C.S. Lewis used to like to say. He is not just a lamb. He's also a lion. (laughs) But he loves us. I wonder when we hear Jesus say, I am the way, I am the door, I am the gate, is it only a formula for you? Is Jesus just just a formula, like a bridge to the heavenly fire? That's how we get to God. When you hear, I am the way, I am the door, I am the gate, is it also not a portal to a life of liberation? Like when we open our lives wide to him, we can live our lives wide open because of Jesus, right? Right? A parent can ask their, their kid, hey, come serve with me at the nomadic shelter in the community. An eligible bachelor or bachelorette can, can be free to spend their Fridays not just to fill the hole in their heart, but as missionaries, right? The, you can surprise a leader or a pastor or elder by saying, hey, I want to grow or I want to be challenged. You can give of yourself to pray for the nation, starting with this one right here. You can say, Please forgive me to someone so you can reconcile with an enemy or an ex. Open wide your life to him and watch him liberate your love. A second way we can respond this morning is to constantly reevaluate your rule. Constantly reevaluate your rule by the law of love. Regularly ask, does this rule, does this discipline, does this goal help me love Jesus and love others? And when it doesn't, let it go. I'll start with, give me an example in our church We try to be a church in our community, a church to our neighbors outside of these walls, to our neighbors, by forming these missional families called FAMS. Because we want to be with others as a church in the community. Part of setting up FAMS, including an alternative for those not ready or sensing God's call yet to be missionaries in the community. And that's okay. But we started this thing called waiting rooms to gather weekly, to eat and to share with one another. And it worked for a while to help us all love until it didn't. And so we let it go. Why insist on sticking with any church program or tradition if it's not working? Sometimes you got to let it go. Consider your rule of life. Right for me, I mentioned intermittent fasting has helped me feel fresher, but it's also gotten in the way of love at times. I remember about a year ago, I was at someone's house, and for the first time, when they offered me dessert, I refused, which was essentially made me refusing their hospitality. Why? oh, it's too late, I'm doing this intermittent fasting thing. You see how I got in the way of love there? Consider your rules, be the change rule, your karma rule, your checklist rule. You might see some success with it and be tempted to say, hey, that worked for me. But the answer to that is always no. Jesus worked in me. 
I open my, I open my life wide to him. And so now I'm able to live a life wide open to love. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for being my substitute. I know that if not for you, my heart would overflow with unlove, with unlove, the, the evil thoughts, the, the coveting, the sensuality, the wickedness. But you substitute your heart for mine. So I want to plead with you this morning for more of your heart, more of your compassion, so that my rule would no longer rule my life. So I open wide my life to you this morning, King Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.